You know, I, um, I have always enjoyed sports, playing sports. Now more, I probably do more watching sports than playing sports at this stage of life. But I've always enjoyed those uh, competitions. But I admit that I've never been tough competition when it comes to video games. That's just kind of beyond my skill level, though I've been known to win a couple of games occasionally with our grandsons. Uh, when our sons would play, I think they let me win occasionally just to keep me going. Um, but I've never been highly skilled at that. I know that video games can be used as an escape from the realities and the responsibilities of, of real life. But they also, I think, can provide something for us that real life doesn't often provide. What I mean is that in real life, time runs in one direction, beginning to end, start to finish. And they're usually in the middle of that, isn't a, a start over, replay, a do over, reboot button. In life, you get involved in something, you mess up, you miss an opportunity, tough luck. It's just kind of the way it is. You got to press on, make the best of it, but you can't go back and redo it very often. But in the gaming world, it's different. There's always a possibility of a resurrection, a, a new life, a, re a restart, a, a do-over, a second chance, a reboot, whatever you would call it. And maybe that's maybe one of the reasons why gaming is so popular in our world today. It provides us an opportunity, an option for remaking the, the world of the game in a fresh way. Your city crumbles? Well, take a different approach. Start it again. Backtrack a little bit. Uh, you lose one tournament? Start over. Try it another time. You don't survive a particular exploration? You can quickly hit reset. Go back again. Your team loses? In the finals, by one goal, replay. Try it again. If the enemy destroys you before you get it, you can get a second chance, a new life. Go back and try it again. And as I think of that, I wonder, wouldn't it be nice in real life, in the real world, if we could restart as easily as we can in the virtual world? Uh, you know, have you ever wished... In real life, real time, you had a, a second chance. You could just push a button like you can in a video game and go back and do that again with no consequence. Yeah, me too. I've had a lot of those opportunities. I, I wish I could go back and restart that. Uh, you can relate to that, needing a, a second chance in your life if you can, you say, yeah, there are times when I've wanted that, or maybe I'm at a place now I would like that today. You've come to the right place because that's what we're going to explore today as we look into the Bible. Perhaps your second chance uh, might be in the, in the realm of friendships. Maybe you have a friendship that ended poorly or isn't going well, and you just would like to go back and do a couple of things differently. Restart it. Or maybe you'd like that restart at work. You're in the middle of a project or an issue or there's some relational uh, situation with your boss or with one of your employees. And you just like a restart a little bit. Backtrack and let's replay that. Or maybe it's in a marriage. Not, not been headed in the right direction recently. And you'd like to go back and 
have a second chance at that situation. Could be in your finances. Could be in a romantic relationship you're involved in. It might even be in your relationship with God. You say, I just would like to go back and restart some things. Places I've got off track. Like a do-over. I don't know where it is that you would use a second chance coupon. But I, I suppose, I'm pretty sure, if I could hand those out today and say, here it is, if you want one, I imagine there would be a, a little bit of a line. People saying, I'll take one of those. I know right where I'll use it. I need it. And today, we meet a guy who is in desperate need of his own second chance. We don't meet him for the first time. If you've been to the last couple of Sundays, you know who this guy is. His name is Jonah. He was an Old Testament prophet of God. Jonah needed a second chance. And in Jonah's story that we find in the Old Testament, uh, in a book by, under his own name, he was an Old Testament prophet in about the 8th century B.C. And we've named him, dubbed him the, the runaway prophet. Jonah's, Jonah's a unique kind of guy. We discovered in chapter 1, that God came to the prophet Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to bring a message to them. They're a wicked city, and I want you to tell them I'm coming to them in judgment if they don't repent. Now, we don't often talk about the judgment of God, but the judgment of God is real. It's as real as the love of God. And someday, we'll all stand before the judgment of God, and he, God will say to us, I need to see your works. And we will be judged by our works. Whether there are good works, and they'll always, we'll always fall short if there are good works, because our good works can never be good enough. Or will we present to God the good works, the righteous works of Jesus, and say, those are credited to my account. God's judgment is real. And God's judgment was going to come to Nineveh. And so God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach repentance to them. Maybe they will turn from their ways. So God said, go, and Jonah said, no. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going to Tarshish, the opposite direction. Jonah boarded, uh, uh, got on board of a ship that was headed to Tarshish. In the middle of the ship, or the middle of the journey, they discovered he was running from God, and so the crew threw him overboard. Middle of the Mediterranean. And God prepared there a great fish to swallow Jonah to house him for three days, to allow him some time out, to some think-it-over time. It was a miraculous provision for Jonah. Jonah thought it over three days in the belly of that fish, and he turned to God in prayer. And he decided he wasn't successful at running from God, and so Jonah turned and began to run to God in that prayer. We looked at that last week. And the result is that Jonah gets himself vomited up onto dry ground, messy and miserable, but at least he's alive. And there on that dry gra ground, that beach, Jonah gets his much-needed second chance. It's due over. So Jonah, we that's where we find Jonah. He's been running from God, and then he ran back to God. And now in chapter 3, we discover Jonah is running with God, with his second chance. The, the chapter which we heard read a, a few minutes ago, let me just remind us how it opens. In Jonah 3, we discover that God is gracious to him. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. 
saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah got up, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly large city. The estimates are some 120,000 people, pagan people, disregarding of God, but Jonah goes this time to God. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's almost the same words that we saw in chapter 1, except with the addition of two words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is Jonah's second chance. And this time, rather than saying no when God said go, Jonah obeys, and he goes to Nineveh. Now, I say on the one hand, isn't that a nice story? Isn't it nice that God gave Jonah a second chance? But if you think about it for a minute, maybe you'll wonder why. Why would God give a guy like Jonah a second chance? What I mean is that Jonah hardly deserves a do-over. Jonah was acting like this was some video game. Jonah said, I can choose the path to Nineveh, or I can choose the path to Tarshish. And if I don't like the path that I choose, I'll just reset and try the other one. And he gets into trouble on his first choice, because Jonah said no to God. But this isn't a video game. This is real life. Jonah said no to the God of the universe, the God who made him, the almighty God, the God who sustains everything, the Holy One. And Jonah had the nerve to say, God, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to do life my way. That's a serious act of disobedience, disregard for God. I suspect that few of us have ever been that bold to God. When God says something to us, obey here or go there or do this, we can easily rationalize it or say, well, I didn't quite hear you. I'll ignore it. I'll just kind of disregard it. I'll forget about it. Very few of us stand before God and say, no way. I'm not going to do it your way. I don't care what you say. But that's really what Jonah did. It's blatant. It's not something he forgot or bought the wrong ticket or got to the wrong dock. Jonah said, God, I don't care. I'm not doing it your way. And God wants to give that kind of guy a second chance. You see, Jonah is unlike any prophet of God that any of us would ever be proud of. Really, nobody, I, probably, nobody here says, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like Jonah. <laughs> No way. He's neither humble nor honest. Someone described Jonah as a spiteful little man in a chronic state of bellyache. That's pretty much Jonah. He's a man who measures a good day or a bad day by what's in it for himself. He wants God's blessing, but he runs from God's work. He wants God to rescue him but then he begs God not to rescue anybody else. To in fact, to destroy his enemies. And now, Jonah wants a second chance. Which only makes the question, I think, more pressing. Why? 
why would God give a guy like Jonah a second chance? Why wouldn't he just write him off? Say, well, Jonah, you had your chance. That's it. I'm moving on to somebody else who'll be an exemplary prophet, who will obey and follow what I ask. Well, the answer is related to one of the main themes in the book of Jonah. We saw it emerge last week in chapter 2 in Jonah's prayer. But here it, it kind of comes into full operation. And that theme is the mercy of God. That's one of the great themes of this entire book, God's mercy. You see, by its very nature, mercy implies second chance. Because as we discovered last week, God's mercy is God withholding from us something we deserve. In this case, God's mercy is God withholding his divine judgment that both Jonah and the people of Nineveh deserved. They had said no to God. They were wicked. They were disobedient. And God said, my judgment, is des- you are de- deserving of it. But God's mercy, he said, I'll withhold that for a season, not give you what you deserve. A- and maybe that's why uh, God's mercy is so difficult to understand and to, to grasp sometimes. Because, you see, when it comes to showing mercy, there's only one kind of person to whom mercy can be shown. Yeah, that's the one who doesn't deserve it. That's the one who's flaunted it, who's run from it, whatever it might be, but is anything but deserving of God's mercy. That's why God's mercy to Jonah is a lot harder to accept than it at first appears when we discover really who Jonah is and what he's done. It would be like God sending Jonah to Nineveh. We understand the struggle. But God said, I want you to go back to Nineveh and preach. It would be like uh, God having sent someone, uh, a Christian preacher, a Jewish preacher actually, to the city of Berlin during World War II to preach to to the Germans. It'd be like a Christian missionary going to the main plaza in Kabul, Afghanistan and preaching the gospel there today. No one would expect a positive response to that. In fact, we would be surprised if the, the preacher was even still alive before he got to the end of, by the time he got to the end of the, ser- of the service and the, the message. That's exactly the assignment, though, that God gave to Jonah in his second chance. And Jonah's message is summarized in just uh, eight succinct words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message that God gave Jonah to to bring to this city. And whatever the details of that message are, we're not given those here, but we see that the power of that message and those details was undeniable. We find in verse 5, it says, The people of Nineveh, when they heard that message, they believed in God. And they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, he removed his robe from himself, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the dust. Jonah's message to these people changed their hearts, changed the heart of the people, changed the heart of the king, and it started a spiritual revival in this city as it turned people back to the God of Jonah. Wow, that's incredible. That that, uh, preaching 
came from a runaway prophet and he was, who was given a second chance that we don't really understand why. He didn't deserve it. What could have possibly produced such a change in these people? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because we know it wasn't Jonah's powerful preaching. He couldn't have been that good. The answer is in a second major theme that comes to, to us out of the book at this point. Along with the mercy of God, you see, is this idea, the theme of the truth of God. Those two come together. Jonah's eight-word message contained God's truth. God's truth to the people of Nineveh, to believe God, to follow him with repentance and humble obedience. We know that was the message because of the response from the people, the Ninevites. We see in verse 5, we said that they believed God. Even the king himself believed in Jonah's God, the Hebrew God, the God of the universe, the true God. And then they covered themselves with sackcloth. That is an ancient sign of repentance, humility of heart, turning from their sin. And then they gave up their evil ways. They began to obey, to live as God had commanded them. Putting all those elements together in the Bible, repentance, faith, and obedience, the fruit of those being the fruit of obedience, all of that is really what the Bible talks about when it refers to conversion, being converted. It involves conversion is like uh, two, there are two sides to that coin. One side is repentance. The other side is faith or belief. Repentance involves this changing of our mind, a change of mind and heart in terms of our sin. And so it's turning away from something, turning away from disobedience and sin, recognizing, yes, God, that is right. I have been rebellious against you. I'm deserving of your punishment, but I turn from my sin. That's repentance, what the Bible talks about. And then the other side of the coin of conversion is faith, belief, turning not just away from, but turning towards God. I turn away from my sin, and God, I turn to you. And when those two conditions are met, repentance and faith, a person is converted. And God relents of his judgment and has compassion on people. And that's exactly what we see here with the people of Nineveh. They repented, and they turned to God, and they evidenced the fruit of that in their obedience. And God relented of his judgment and instead brought blessing upon the people. And as we're going to discover uh, next week in the last chapter of Jonah, uh, that's the last thing that Jonah wanted or even imagined would happen in Nineveh. What Jonah expected was, okay, God, you win. I'll do my duty. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll finish this preaching campaign. And then I'm getting out of town. Jonah's thinking, there, God, I did what you asked me to do. The people continued in their wickedness. I told you they would, and now I'm done with it. Give me a better assignment next time. I'm on to something else. Been there and done that one. But instead, of all things, the truth of God pierced the hearts of the Ninevites. And they believed. And they repented. And they began to follow the God of Jonah, the true God. 
And that's because of the nature of God's truth. The New Testament gives us a, a better understanding of, of all of these repentance and truth and a fuller understanding of that. It's in what the New Testament calls the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus, of course, that the New Testament has full explanation of. But we see that in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. This is what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news, for it's the power of God for everyone, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. The gospel, the good news, is God's power. Now, that's a, a wonderful statement. Notice that Paul doesn't say the gospel contains the power of God. That's not what he says. He doesn't say the gospel is a powerful message. The gospel will give you power for living. He doesn't say that. He says the gospel is the power of God. That's the same power that rolled the stone away, that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the same power of God that created the universe and every day, every minute of every day, sustains the universe and all the laws that God put into effect. That's the power of Almighty God. And Paul says that is the gospel. That's the power of God to save sinners. The power of God to turn a city of 120,000 people back to God. It brings salvation to everyone who believes it. You see, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not just some self-help advice, the latest book of how to be a better person, nor is it a way to maximize your, our, our, our power for power-filled living. Give us a nicer life. No, Paul says it's the power of God for salvation. That's God's power to break the chains of sin in our lives. It's the power of God to remove completely our guilt, our shame, our brokenness. It's the power of God to restore us into a relationship with Almighty God. That's the power of the gospel. And that's the power of God to breathe life into our spiritually dead souls, to make saints out of habitual sinners. The power of God is the message of the Bible. It's the message that God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to restore us and renew us into a relationship with God. And that's the message, though it was pre-Christ, that's a shadow of the message that Jonah delivered to, Ninev to the Ninevites. And it's the message that allowed them to turn to the true and living God. And it's the same message that we offer you every week here at Calvary. More than anything else, we want you to know the mercy, the truth, and the grace of God. And if you're here and you say, you know, I'm not really a church person. I don't really get this church thing. Maybe a friend invited you or you're just coming back and exploring what church is. That's the truth that will change your life. Because that's the real Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus who left his, the glory in heaven and he came to earth and he lived a sinless life. 
And then at the end of his life, he died on a cross to pay a penalty that, that he didn't owe, that he wasn't guilty of, but he paid our penalty. He took our sin. The Bible says he became sin for us. Our sin was imputed, credited to him, so that his righteousness could be credited to us. That's the power of the gospel. That's the gospel that changes our hearts and forgives us of our sins. That's the gospel, the truth that we offer you every week. And if you're not, have never received that, have never understood that, that's God's mercy, pure and simple. And the grace and truth of God's word, of what Christ can do in your life, can change your heart, can set you free, can forgive your sins, can heal your brokenness, can take the baggage of shame and guilt in your life and allow you to drop those. There's the power to live a, faith, a faithful and fruitful life in obedience to God. And that's what God did in Nineveh. That's the same way he operates today. It set an entire city free. It set a congregation free. It set many of us free. The power of the gospel. You see, God offers to all of us, undeserving as we are, a second chance. A second chance because of his mercy and through his truth as we embrace that truth. Because it's the truth of God's mercy that moves us to follow Jesus. That's the truth that we find from Jonah's story here in this third chapter. So maybe you find yourself today like Jonah. You're a follower of Jesus. You got that settled. But you've done more running lately from God than following God. And, and whatever the reason was and whatever the rationale is, you say, I've really been doing life my way rather than God's. Maybe it wasn't a blatant no to God. Maybe it was just disregarding. Say, God, I, I didn't quite hear you, so I'm going to go this way instead of your way. But maybe you, you come to a place like Joni and you realize, I need a second chance. You've been vomited up onto dry ground and you say, God, I, I need to start running with you, back to you. You can have that second chance when you come back to God in repentance. Agree, God, I've done it my own way and it hasn't got me to where I need to be and I want to do it your way now. I want to ask for your forgiveness and for a second, a second chance to start over. I want to turn with you and I want to start running with you rather than away from you. Or perhaps you don't identify as much with Jonah as you do with the Ninevites. You're not a follower of Jesus. And like the Ninevites, you need to accept that invitation to find forgiveness, to find eternal life, to find your sins taken away and being restored to, on the pathway to all that God wants for you. You need the power of God to forgive you and to change you by responding to the truth of God's mercy that Jesus died on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sins to set you free and to forgive you. All you need to do to receive that is to turn from sin, to say, God, I, I acknowledge I've done life my way. I've disobeyed. I've been a sinner. Whatever you want to, however you want to put it, but God, now I want to do it your way. We turn from sin. We turn to him. We say, I believe. I receive Jesus into my life, his forgiveness, a new a new and fresh start, eternal life. And from this day forward, I do life your way, God. And he gives us the gift of eternal life. 
We'd love to help you take that step. Maybe the person who invited you would love to have that conversation with you this week and say, let me tell you how that works and how you can take that step and come into that kind of eternal relationship with God. That's the story of Jonah. Like many of us, or the Ninevites, like some of us, in the power of God's gospel, the truth of God, with the mercy of God, can set us free and give us a second chance to serve him and to know him and to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. Let's close together in prayer. And then we'll be sharing together with the Lord's Supper this morning. God, it's easy to critique Jonah and see what a failure he was in serving you. And then we look in the mirror and we say, we've been there. We really know what that feels like. There have been times when we've done life our own way instead of your way. But like Jonah, you give us your mercy. You give us the opportunity to come back to you and to be restored and renewed and forgiven and healed. God, I pray that today, as we reflect on the goodness of Jesus and giving us his body and his blood, Lord, might that bring us back to gratitude and obedience and faithfulness to him. And Lord, I pray that across this room, maybe those who've come in today and would say, you know, I've never, I've never known that God personally. I've never discovered and had a real relationship with God. Oh, I've been religious, or I've done the right things, or I've tried to keep the rules, but I've never been received by God with forgiveness and mercy and grace. Father, would you make it real clear and draw them to Jesus that today might be the day of their salvation, we pray. In his name, amen.